I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Oh, friends, I am so excited that you have joined us today for this episode of the Rise Together podcast. I have a friend that you are going to become friends with. Jonathan Fields is on the show today. He's a dad, husband, award-winning author, executive producer, and host of one of the top-ranked podcasts in the world. Dang, I'd like to have that happen in my life. It's called The Good Life Project, which has been featured everywhere from the Wall Street Journal to Oprah Magazine and even Apple's iconic annual product event. He's also the founder CEO of Spark Endeavors and the lead architect behind Sparkotypes, an archetyping system and set of tools tapped by over 500,000 individuals and organizations to identify, embrace, and cultivate the work that makes people come alive and equip organizations and leaders to more effectively unlock potential, motivation, impact, and joy. I am here for this. Please rise, remove your hats, and welcome Jonathan Fields to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis. And I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Uh, it's so good to be here with you. And after that introduction, I think I'm just going to tap out because it only goes downhill <laughs> from there. Oh, man, I love you. There, there's uh, something beautiful that has happened in my life in the last couple of years, which is friends introducing me to new friends that become deep, meaningful friendships. And uh, you are among that list. Uh, we got to have dinner, Heidi and I, your wife and yourself, uh, what, two weeks ago. And yeah. just... Getting to hang out in what was a super serene backdrop and connect, get to know you a little bit better, uh, a super, super treat. But I'm also excited because as I've gotten to know you and your work more, I find that basically every single thing you put out is written or spoken directly for me. Mm -hmm. So I just want to thank you as a, as a friend, but also as a consumer of your work for the way that the work you're doing is having an impact on my life in particular. So thanks, brother. Uh Thanks so much. That means the world to me. Like I, I think um, I'm a seeker, right? I'm always looking for for to get as close to the truth as possible, and then to share whatever I discover um, in a way that's as accessible as possible. And I, I feel like we're you know, that that is a similar compulsion with both of us. 
Yeah. I do like to, because we're both coaches inside of Growth Day. We both have podcasts. We're both writers. But uh, I'm a Yale talker. You are the most like softly spoken but confident order that I have met. And so on a spectrum, if you're needing someone that uh, will annoy you with loudness, I'm here. But if you also just want to hear someone who has a fantastic voice and is calm at all times, Jonathan is in fact your coach. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the biggest bits of feedback we've gotten about the podcast over the years is that people are like, oh, I love your podcast. I listen to it when I go to sleep at night. And I'm like, I'm not entirely sure how to take that. <laughs> it's, it's like, yes, your voice is really calming. And the minute you start speaking, I fall asleep. <laughs> I feel like there's a partnership with the Calm app waiting to happen. Something, right? <laughs> well, I tried to give you an introduction, uh, something that was sent over by your team and I. Uh, man, I appreciate all the greatness that is the work that you've done. But I like to ask guests as we start out if they, in their own words, might give their own introduction of self and even maybe more importantly, why you believe yourself to be on this planet. Man, that um, that second question is a big one, huh? Um, so introduction to myself, you you shared all the fancy yada yada, but the first two words in that were dad and husband. And and that is the, you know, like, if, if you were to take the entire bio you just shared and you were to ask me, what is the 99.99% .99 of that that really matters most to me? And it's those first two words. Um, yeah. I wake up in the morning and... I'm thinking about my family, you know, uh, as I move through the day, I'm thinking about my family, how the decisions that I make, the the things that I think, what I create and put into the world um, might make a difference for, for me, for them, how I relate to them and how deeply present I can be in their lives. Even when, you know, like we've got a kid who's off in college, 2000 miles away. Like how do we actually keep that tether not just, you know, by showing up digitally, but like, how do we, how do, how do I find ways to be emotionally present with her when we're so far apart? So a lot of, a lot of the way that I, that I see myself from an identity standpoint these days is really those two words. And then beyond that, the deeper impulse for me, and it has been since the time I was a kid is I'm a maker. I open my eyes in the morning and I scan and I'm like, what can I make today? Mm. Been, been that way for as long as I can remember, you know, and it's, it's shown up in the physical domain, creating all sorts of like objects and stuff and bicycles and paintings and anything you can imagine, renovating, building houses. And it showed up in the last probably decade or so in the digital space, you know, or in the, you know, creating with language, creating with media, um, creating experiences. And, but to me, it is, it's, it's the birthing process, the act of creation for me, there's something that it does to me. And it's been that way for as long as I can remember. And if I can some way tether that to putting something out into the world that makes a meaningful difference to other people, that's sort of like the ultimate blend. Oh, I love that. If you think about creation, then when you get inspiration, what is it that is usually at the core of that inspiration? Is it about impact? Is it about unleashing or tapping into passion? Like where does, where does your inspiration to create come from? Yeah. So I would love to say it's all about service. It's all about impact because that is the noble answer. That is the answer that we're supposed to put forth in society. And that is the, the way that you're, you know, the only viable way that your reason for being can be manifest, but I would be lying. Yes. It matters to me. I love the fact that I have the the opportunity to create things that that make a difference for for other people, but if I'm really being honest, 
the deeper impulse for me is, and, and the thing that satisfies me really powerfully, and the reason I do it is because the simple process, it's much more about process for me. I love immersing myself in a process of creation. I can't tell you why it makes me feel the way that I feel, but I lose myself in flow. I feel like I'm doing the thing that I'm here to do. I feel like, you know, it could be really hard work, but I'm super energized. So for me, um, three years ago, it, at one of the busiest times in our business, I decided to vanish from our company essentially for a month. And I was living over this old roadhouse in rural Pennsylvania, working with a luthier, which is a guitar builder, side by side with him 13 hours a day as I was learning how to build my own guitar. And, you know, this was a guitar that, would very likely turn around and not sound half as good, if not a 10th as good as anything I could buy at a store for a 10th the price. So it wasn't even about, oh, I'm going to play this thing and magical things will happen around me when people really enjoy and share the experience, which was really cool. And it did happen, but that wasn't what it was about for me. It was the opportunity to get lost in the process of creation, to literally lose time. Even working 13-hour days with a single break for lunch, my body was kind of shredded after that. And I was it was maybe the happiest month of my adult life. <laughs> oh, so I, in trying to talk to people about purpose, where people are uh, looking for that elusive answer to why they're here, I've suggested that there's something in the middle point of passion, something you have an opportunity to develop mastery around and impact that if you can find kind of that center point, then you might be onto something. I can only imagine that that center point where I to find it would be the place where I would find myself lost, that I would mm -hmm. in, you know, being super passionate about it and actually building a skill that might develop into mastery and potentially having uh, an opportunity to have it help or impact other people. Um, that yeah. that's where I might myself find myself lost. I just, I love that. I, I'm sure someone's listening right now, like, man, I want to have some of what he's having. How do I get lost in something? If someone in hearing this is like, gosh, like, how do you go there? How do you do that? What, what do you tell someone who has not yet found a thing that they can get lost in? So a couple of different things. And that, that has sort of been one of the central questions of probably the last tw 20 years for me. But it's become a much more focused devotion over the last five or so. You know, I, I have been fascinated by the question of how do we find and do work that gives us that feeling not just of being lost in what researchers would call a state of flow, but also feeling like you have a sense of purpose. You're working towards something that means something to you. And more broadly, you have a sense of purpose in life. Like you're showing up and you're doing the thing that you're here to do. You're excited and energized by it. You know, there that, that there's a sense of meaning that wraps around it. And that you are somehow tapping into a well of potential that you've always known was there, but you didn't know what it looked like or felt like, and you had no idea how to access it. And somehow investing yourself in a particular way seems to just open the floodgates of that potential without you having to pry it open with a crowbar. It just unlocks itself. And I've been fascinated by this question. You're like, how do we, how do we invest ourselves in a way that unlocks all of that, that sort of releases it into our life. Because if we can, it's kind of like everything changes. And that that is, you know, whereas I've been focused broadly on the question of how do you live a good life for a really long time? What I realize is I'm actually really fascinated by the domain of work. And by the way, I don't necessarily mean the thing you get paid for when I say work. You know, it's amazing when that happens, when you can get that feeling, you know, with the thing that you're probably going to spend eight to 10 hours a day for, for the rest of your life, five days a week, maybe more. But 
you're not excluded from that feeling. If that thing that you end up saying like, well, this is how I'm going to earn my living is it's just okay. And then you have the opportunity to actually explore roles, activities, devotions, all sorts of things around that, that will complement you know, and really bring that feeling to bear. To me, I look at the full spectrum of the way that you invest yourself in the world as work. And you know, the stuff that you get paid for is kind of mixed in there. But yeah, I, I have been going deep into this exploration of how do you get that feeling and, and what is the work that elicits that in all of our lives? I was looking at some research from a guy named Stephen Kotler. Yeah. He was talking about the importance of dipping your toe into a bunch of different water that you have not previously potentially dipped your toe in so that you might find where passion you did not know existed might exist in your life. And I have been, this has just been a year of saying yes. I've said yes to more things that I've never done. And what I've found is I, yep, don't have passion for a whole host of things, but I've also found some new sources of passion that existed in dipping my toe into something that I'd never done before. Talk for a second just about how from your work and your experience and good life and everything else, how doing new things ends up sometimes acting as this discovery vehicle for unlocking something new that might end up leading you into a flow. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the approach that you've been taking, Dave. You know, and it's kind of the way that I've lived my life. You know, it's funny. So Good Life Project, which is the name of the podcast and, you know, like the, the, the business wrapped around it, that's been in existence for 10 years now. But the very name of both the company and the media and the events, anything we've done has the word project in it. And that was intentional, you know, because that gives me the freedom to say, okay, so this is not my lifelong devotion. This is not the thing that I've said yes to, and it must succeed. This is the thing where I'm stepping in and saying, well, this sounds kind of interesting and cool. And what might happen if I invest myself in exploring it and continuing to push it forward and let it kind of go where it needs to go and take on the shape that it needs to take? Because it's a project, you know? And at some point, if the project feels like, okay, it's come to a, a, you know, a, a peaceful end, or it's telling me that it's time to move on to the next one, I feel really good about saying, all right, you know, it, it's time moving on. So I think what you shared is really, it's the secret, you know, we tend to define success or, or anything that we're doing in life. When we say yes to something, we're like, okay, I have to be all in and this must succeed because if it doesn't, not only is it a failure, I'm a failure. Yeah. And when we step into that, it's brutalizing to us because maybe we do succeed, but, and maybe the thing succeeds, but it actually doesn't give us the feeling that we thought it would. And now we're locked into it because, Hey, who steps away from a success? And then it will be a failure and I will be a failure rather than saying, you know, let me run this experiment. And my primary metric is not going to be this must succeed, but my primary metric is, have I learned something? Yeah. You know, because if you do that and then you pay attention, doesn't matter if the thing crashes and burns or it doesn't matter if it soars like crazy, you still win. Like you, you, you step into that and you're like, either way, as long as I'm paying attention, I've learned something cool about the thing and about myself. And I'm going to carry that forward no matter what I do. So if a year down the road, you're like, yeah, this was cool. I learned a lot, but it's not it. You're so much better. You know, it's, it's so much easier for you to say, I'm going to close this chapter. I've learned what I came to learn. 
you know, it, it might not have thought what uh, been what I thought it was, but um, yeah. But I've learned something good and I moved on. You know, and it's been interesting to see you sort of like navigating like r- recent times because it does seem like you're taking this approach. You're like, let me just check this out and see how it feels. And I don't feel like I have to tie my identity to it now. Let's just kind of run a series of experiments it, from the outside looking in. That's what it looks like. Is that what I'm curious whether that's actually been your approach? No, no, it is. And and the reality is, I'm someone who rarely said yes to new things, which is uh, part of what makes this last year, year and a half so incredible because I am retraining some muscle memory that previously had me, unless I knew I could put my thumb on the scale to guarantee an outcome that would have me feeling like I crushed it or was successful or wasn't going to flop publicly or be embarrassed or whatever it is, uh, I'd wait until I developed a little bit of behind the scenes skill so that I could actually, when I put my toe in that water, know that I was going to be okay. And uh, the beauty of things not turning out the way that I would have thought they might at the end of uh, my marriage, it was like, well, all of a sudden, anything I thought around control, anything I thought around what is supposed to happen is now gone and I'm free. And in that freedom, I had to just try a bunch of different things because I, in doing these new things, might find something that I am surprised by. A part of it, to be honest, like it started almost as uh, a bit of an identity game where yeah. I thought I knew who I was, but couldn't tell you what I liked, <laughs> couldn't tell you what I like to do in my spare time, uh, which was a really tough thing in the aftermath of my identity having been so connected to husband. And in the absence then of that now existing, I went on a search to find myself, did some ways through therapy, but a lot of ways through just experiences. And uh, I am, the beautiful thing is I thought, oh, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to figure out who I am immediately. And then I will have this new identity and it'd be great. And what has actually presented itself in the last year and a half is I will be on a perpetual journey of getting to know who I am for the rest of my life. And that there is not, in fact, a destination as much as this fluid thing that's going to happen where seasonally I might be one person and next season another person. And I'm becoming comfortable with it after having not been comfortable with it for my entire life. Yeah. I mean, it's like the peeling of the identity onion, you know, <laughs> but but yeah. so so often we step into adulthood and tracked by expectation and then we just follow the track. And then we get to a point in our lives, regardless, and there are so many different ways that you, you may sort of like be pulled out of this and have a big disruptive experience. So often we get to a point in our lives where we're like, oh, wait a minute, um, that track has just completely crumbled underneath me. And I have been so driven by the weight of expectation for my entire life that I've never actually explored what matters to me and who I am and what my preferences and tendencies are. Like, what is my deeper truth and how do I let that out? And it's so interesting. I'm, I'm, I've always been curious why when we, you know, if you go to high school, if you go to college, if you go to grad school, and then even in, in organizations, you know, there's all of this continuing education and almost all of it is skills-based and domain expertise. You know, mm-hmm. you're always preparing for the thing that you have to do. And, but what if the thing that you have to do is know yourself, where are the classes in that, you know, and, and they're far and few in between. And yet that is the single biggest linchpin for flourishing as an individual. And then turning that flourishing into showing up as your best self. And then, you know, like allowing us to flourish more broadly at scale as a society. What's interesting is I can remember going on a trip 
to find myself. I made this intentional three-day, I'm going to go out to the desert, no technology, open notebook, no agenda. Well, mild agenda. Who are you? And, uh, and I remember driving to the airport and then a Vici song came on and I just burst into tears. And I, and I got to that rock in the middle of the Tucson desert and I started writing about the experience of crying on the way there. And my it was like my first journal entry. And what I realized is that I, in this pursuit to find out who I was, was afraid I might go searching and not find anything. Mm. And I think part of why we as humans tend to not want to dig is that there is some weird thing that exists in our brain, that there might not be something special, something interesting, something that actually has a purpose of matter. And that's ridiculous. Those are lies. That is just a bunch of hooey. And I I only was able to kind of figure it out after I was willing to, you know, kind of push into that uncomfortable space of trying to get to know myself. And I realize now that even that first onion peel is just the beginning of what ends up being truly understanding who I am and how I'm wired and why I love the way I do and why I have the fears that I do. And it ends up, like I said, it just, it's work that will be work for the rest of time. I, I've said this before, but Heidi and I and getting to know each other play this game where we're picking cards and you have to try and, you know, answer a very simple, but often profound question in its simplicity. My question the other day was, what are the three words to describe you? And instead of picking three discrete words, I, I use the words work in progress. And I used to like have such a negative attribution to the idea of being a work yeah. in progress. Cause it always, for me was like, Oh, you're not yet there. You're not yet enough. You don't matter as much as you could, or you haven't fully actualized your potential. And I've now come to see it as just this badge of honor. Like I will be like your word project in good life project, right? Like I am a project that will be working on itself over time for the rest of time. I will be a work in progress the day before I die. And that to me is just a sign of growth and, and the way that I'd hope to explore how I become for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. You know, and if you think about it, you know, on the one hand, it becomes it can you can you can frame that as terrifying. You know, like I will never entirely know myself, and I will never entirely know everything that I want to know. But then, on the other hand, you can frame that as what an incredible gift that like there will not be a day that I wake up for the rest of my life where there is not something new for me to discover and explore. It's it's funny. So years ago, um, I was in the yoga world and I ran a yoga studio in New York City and we trained a lot of teachers. And um, and we saw this phenomenon happen over and over and over when we were training. People would show up and they'd been practicing yoga for years. And you kind of feel like, you know, like you really got it down. You got the practice down, you got the basics down, you show up and, and then you start to dive into not just the physical practice, but all of the ethical practices and the, the deep uh, literature. And then like people would get, you know, somewhere, it was always around the halfway mark of the training and there would be a, a, a meltdown. And, and it was, we could literally time it like clockwork because this thing would go on, a light bulb would go on in people's minds that says, wow, like I, I thought I was really in command of this body of work and this thing and I was going to step out. And I just realized I know nothing. Like there are thousands of years of profound stories and insights and gorgeous literature and things to study and learn. And there will never be enough days in my life to go, to go deep enough into this where I will even come close to mastering or knowing everything. And, and the first response for a lot of people was ab abject terror. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're just like, I literally know nothing. 
I thought I knew everything and I woke up today and I realized I know nothing. And, and, and all the assumptions about everything are just blown up. And then like our, our job was then to say, hey, listen, that thing that you're feeling, it's real and you're not alone. Everybody else in this same space either is feeling that now and just not telling you or any moment now, they're about to go there. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is like, how incredible is that? That you have fallen in love with a body of insight and wisdom and that is so expansive that you can spend the rest of your life deepening into it and you will never run out of cool stuff to learn. And that's really the same thing as like who we are as individuals if we open to it. So I know we have something of a similar beginning of life that has us now departing into the work that we do and the life that we live. But uh, will you just give a little bit of your backstory and how you got started in this work and maybe even like what you did before you do the calling of your life? Yeah. So in a, in a very past life, I came out of school and I, I was always an entrepreneur when I was younger and I was fascinated with sort of like the mind-body connection, how people live. In high school, uh, I was into that and I, and, and I trained as a gymnast. In college, I started my first business. I'm, I love music also. So I started a DJ and sound and lighting company. Um, that was the first business that we exited actually sold it to some incoming freshmen. Uh, and then I ended up a couple of years later after knocking around in outside sales, which was a brutal experience for an introvert like me knocking on doors and saying, hi, I'm here to see your president. <laughs> I end up in law school and, and very fortunate to do very well. And, uh, and I end up going straight into a massive government agency, the SEC prosecuting insider trading or investigating it. And I've got like the really cool badge that I can flip open and terrify people. And, and then I end up in a large, or one of just really large prestigious law firm in New York City. It's, it is the plum job that like I had been working for that sort of everyone in the space aspires to. And a couple of weeks into that, after a literally almost never going home and an insanely stressful experience on a deal with incredibly high stakes, I end up in the hospital after my immune system crashes an infection that had very likely been brewing in me for about a year before, but being kept at bay, mushrooms into this big pelvic abscess, which is basically like a baseball size infection in the middle of my body, eats a hole through my intestine from the outside in. Surgery, thankfully, was successful, but it came out of that and I knew that I had to make some changes. I, I, I would sit in my office just madly scribbling on a, you know those oversized yellow legal pads and I wasn't doing legal work. I was actually making lists of things I thought would be really cool to do with my life if I could figure out how to support myself doing it. Because at that point, I really didn't want to take a step back. I didn't want to start from zero. But the things that kept coming up on that list were things that I knew were going to mean I would take a really big financial hit because I love entrepreneurship. I love starting things from nothing as we've explored. And I love the world of, of wellness and well-being and human potential. And I didn't know enough about it. So I knew I was going to have to spend a lot of time learning. So I saved up a whole bunch of money for um, the better part of a year because I knew I was going to take this big hit. I left, I walked out the door making six figures. And the next thing I stepped into was making 12 bucks an hour as a personal trainer. So I could learn the fitness industry, which was a, a, a much bigger blow to my ego than anything else. Talk about like, of course, re-examining your identity. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I think my whole family was like, dude, you're doing what? <laughs> this is the thing, like this is, you've worked so hard. So, and it took some time, you know, I, I, I learned this new industry, ended up opening my own facility, grew that, built it, sold it to some investors after two and a half years. And then 
felt really called to the fitness industry. I mean, the yoga industry after that, not just the yoga industry, but the 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 space, the the vibe, what it was about, the teachings, um, the the ethical side of it as well. And I didn't know a ton about it, but I knew enough about it. And I was living in New York City, married, um, had a new home, a three-month-old baby, signed a six-year lease for a floor in a building in Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan, with the intention of opening what I hoped would be one of the premier yoga centers in New York. The date that I signed that lease was September 10th, 2001, the day before 9-11. Woke up the next morning. Of course, we all knew what happened. Like we are, you know, as we're having this conversation, literally, you know, in on the eve of the 20th anniversary of that date, being there on that date and being a longtime New Yorker, it was an as you would imagine, in a brutalizing experience in so many different ways, and knowing that there were in fact people in the towers that uh, we knew that never came home. And at the same time, it was also a wake up call for me that says, we only have one pass. You got to make the best use of your time as you can, because as morbid as it sounds, there is no guarantee that when you walk out the door thinking you're you're stepping into an ordinary day today, that you're going to come home at night. Yeah. High probability, sure, but there are no guarantees. Like, you know, like that person that we knew who was in the top floor that never came home had no idea that this was about to happen. And I think if anything, you know, the season that we've been through for the last 18 months has has brought that home on a much, much larger scale to so many people. So I went from there and we completely changed the way that we were going to open. We were going to open the yoga studio with like all this fanfare, like a health club and all these like fun things and celebrations. I was like, yeah, that's not the appropriate thing to do right now. And we just opened up the space a few weeks later and we said, come, you know, don't pay, just come and breathe and move and be and cry and talk and whatever you need to do. This is a space of community and healing. And, and, and that approach really, uh, we were, we were busy. Like we were packed from the minute that we opened because we were a space of healing and community yeah. and, and movement and processing at a time that New York never needed it more, you know, more. That was a stunning experience. I was one of, I opened it and there was literally one other employee when we did that. And she was a very experienced yoga teacher. I was a propped up, making it up as I go yoga teacher at that point and just holding on for dear life and hoping I would never get found out as who I was. And eventually, you know, like ended up training and really learning what I was doing. From there, you know, I really, after seven years or so, I, the maker of me was like, hmm, this is going really good. And I'm getting the Jones to create again, something entirely new and different. So very fortunately, not just was it a beautiful community, um, but a flourishing business. And I was able to sell that company. And I had also at that point sold my first book and I started to really fall in love with language and with taking all the ideas that I had learned from my own experience, from business, from Eastern philosophy, which I'd gone very deep into at that point from psychology, social psychology and positive psychology, which was a really rapidly emerging field and weave them together. And that led me into the world of books and ideas and speaking and media, and then eventually Good Life Project, which launched in 2012. And I've just been sort of traveling on there, continuing to deepen into the thought process until we landed, you know, this moment where that's all rolling behind me. And a couple of years back, I start to have this other question, which is, huh, you know, so many people keep asking me, what should I do with my life? And when they ask me in particular, they're asking, how do I find and do work that makes me feel alive? I'm not sure how I landed that way, but I've sort of like become one of the people where like, that's the question that comes to me. Yeah. And I, you know, I decided it was time to really deepen into that side of my 
research and creation. So for anyone who hasn't experienced the Good Life Projects, can you just give a little bit of like, what's the format? What are the kind of conversations? How has it evolved since 2012? I know it's a kind of cornerstone of what's happening now behind the business generally, but it also ends up being a platform from which Sparked, which we're going to talk about in a second, is now being launched and every other thing that you're doing. But as a, as a place for someone who's hearing your voice that wants to get more, Good Life Project ends up being a good first place to immerse themselves inside your world. But tell them a little bit about what they get inside that community. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely become the centerpiece. So, so I launched Good Life Project in 2012. And initially, we were actually filming long-form conversations on location with three-camera crew. And the goal was a couple of things. We wanted to build an intentional community that was exploring and supporting each other in this quest to live the best life possible. We wanted to create educational resources for people and experiences where we could gather people in, in person and do incredible things. And media. And the media side was not just, you know, well, every business needs a media engine these days, but it was... This is where it got really personal for me. You know, being sort of like that seeker my entire life, I said, wouldn't it be cool if I could find people who I consider embodied teachers, where they weren't just writing about and talking about the ideas that go into all the different aspects of living a good life, but you could look at the way that they were living their lives and say, yeah, they have figured something out. Even if they'd never written a thing or spoken a word and they were a next door neighbor with no publicity or notoriety, you could spend a little bit of time looking at the way that they live their lives, the quality of the relationships, the quality of their well-being, their, their devotion and contribution, and say, this person has figured something out. I want to know what that is. And I want to find people like that and sit down with them and just pepper them with questions, ask them everything that I could. And so I started doing that. You know, I started out with people who I knew and who I had relationships with. And then the audience started to expand a lot. And, and that gave me the opportunity to then invite different people from all domains, from primary researchers in legendary fields to people who are you know, at the head of industry and art and science and well-being and spirituality, you know, from bishops to ambassadors to childhood idols like Peter Frampton, you know, whose album I had sitting on my shelf, Frampton comes alive for years thinking, you know, like this, oh my, and, and like the, I sit down with him when he's 70 years old and have this profound conversation reflecting on his life. Those are the conversations that we have. They're deep, they're real, they're unscripted. They tend to be very open, raw, and vulnerable um, because I'm trying to get as close to the truth as possible. And that initial video series eventually transitioned into audio because it kind of fell in love with audio. I don't, I don't feel the need to be visually present. And I wanted to have a little bit more freedom in the way that we created. So we were one of the early folks in the podcast space. I mean, podcast space has been around for a long time, but when we stepped into it, um, which is, I guess, around 2014, everyone was like, you're doing what? You have a successful video series. It's growing fast. And you're leaving it behind to go into this thing, which is literally about to die. Like nobody listens to these dopey things. It's terrible. And I was like, yeah, it's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and literally months later, Apple releases the, the podcast app. They split it off and install it native on every device. And a few months after that, Serial launches and just yeah. profoundly changes the face of what podcasting would be. And for, for people who weren't in this space early, like there was one show that literally completely rebirthed the space of podcasting. That was serial. And 
we've been riding the wave, you know, um, for a lot of years now and just growing a really big, beautiful community around that. And, and along the way we've created, you know, on brought together people for everything from five day retreats in Costa Rica to go deep into conscious business to, for five years, we ran an adult summer camp where after the kids left a sleepaway camp, they would fumigate the place. And then, you know, we would, we would invite somewhere around 450 grownups from around the world to come in and hang out in the bunks and do all sorts of programming from all the classic camp stuff to, you know, mind body wellness programming and conscious business and entrepreneurship and just a wide variety of things. And it was this magical, magical experience because grownups don't do stuff like that anymore. We attend yeah. events for educational purposes, for quote networking, but like to literally go to summer camp where your only goal is to just be you and meet and and make the kind of friendships that you make when you're lying out in the middle of a grassy field at three in the morning, looking at the stars, talking about life with a perfect stranger who now feels like your best friend. You know, so those were magical and. and uh, you know, obviously hasn't been able to make that happen the last few years, but um, I'm excited for when we can come full circle and start to uh, gather again on that scale at some point. Um, so good. Yeah. So that sounds like a little bit of a, a leading uh, way of answering the question I was about to ask next, which is in all of these conversations for all of this time, is there a through line for how you live a good life? Is there like a, a silver bullet secret that uh, you can share with us so we can just go ahead and have one now? Yeah. So, so I'll give you the absolute answer. <laughs> this is a hundred percent universal for every single person. If you vary from it, you will not have a good life. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But there, for sure, there have been amazing themes that have evolved, you know, whether I'm talking to a 16 year old activist or an 86 year old designer and when you have such a big data set over a period of a lot of years, the three things that have really emerged to me are meaningful contribution, deep relationships, and optimal uh, mind, body, well, well-being. You know, those are the three buckets, um, yeah. vitality, connection, and contribution. And, and if you were to really, really, really pick one of those, I would actually say it's the relationship bucket that matters the most. It's love, you know, which is why George Valiant, who was the longest running curator of the longest running longitudinal study of human flourishing, the, the grant study, when asked after measuring nearly everything that you could measure in participants of this study over like 70 years, was there any one thing that really stood out as helping people have a good life? His answer was simple, love, full stop. All right, so we just need more love. Yeah. I am here for this. <laughs> love and meaning. <laughs> love, love, meaning, vitality. I mean, all three of those. God, they're just like, they're so good. And of course, like somewhat obvious, but also if you were to just pour in exclusively to those three things, it would be a fundamental game changer for the way you experience joy right. in life. Uh, so let's talk about your new book, Sparked. It is coming out. Uh, in real time, discover your unique imprint for work that makes you come alive. Tell me a little bit about how this came about and what someone who picks it up might uh, get from the book. Yeah. So this came about because I decided to really laser focus on the field of work and say, huh, are there a set of fairly identifiable, mappable impulses for work where if you follow that impulse, it will make you feel filled with meaning, excited and energized, dropping into flow, like we talked about earlier, losing yourself in flow, like you're unlocking those gates of potential and you're filled with a sense of purpose. 
That's when I say coming alive, those are the five elements I'm talking about. And I started wondering, could we identify a set of impulses that are kind of universal across all people that would give you that feeling? Because if we could, it would potentially help a lot of people identify theirs and better understand what to say yes to, what to say no to, or how to reimagine what they're currently doing in a way where they can get a lot more of that feeling from it. So I, I started literally with a, a massive list of every job you could imagine. Uh, and I started distilling it down and down and down and asking what's underneath that, what's underneath that, what's underneath that, until we got to these 10 universal impulses for work that gives you that feeling. And then what I realized once I identified these impulses is, you know, each one of these has kind of its own set of quirky behaviors and tendencies and, and preferences that people who have this impulse tend to exhibit and also sometimes struggle with. So those formed into archetypes and I call them sparkotypes because it's just kind of a fun way to say it's the archetype for work that sparks you. And once I, I had that, you know, so now I have this really strong theory, like, okay, so this feels really real to me and I've actually run it by a ton of different people who are a bazillion times smarter than me. And they're like, huh, there's something here. And they're validating a lot of the ideas. And, and then I started saying, but I need to understand it on a much bigger scale, whether this is real or not. And then if it is, see if I can build the tool that would help a lot of people. So we spent about a year um, in 2018 developing an assessment, the Sparkotype assessment, in part to help with the research and also in part to offer a tool that would be freely available to anybody to figure out what their particular Sparkotype was. When we released that to the world, it was almost, if I had hair on my head, it would have been blown back by the response, <laughs> but I don't. So uh, I just had, you know, like a, my, the sheen on my bald head got sheenier. Um, so to date, more than 500,000 people have completed this assessment, generating over 25 million data points. Thousands more are completing it every week. So the volume of data that we have discovered is, is stunning and incredibly validating. We've done a follow-on survey, which is still preliminary, and, but teasing some of that insight, you know, we, we've, we've been told from that data set that people generally, 93% of folks who complete the assessment tell us that it's anywhere from very to extremely accurate, which is amazing to hear and valuable in their lives. And we've seen strong correlations with those five states I was talking about, meaning, flow, excitement, express potential, and purpose. So now we've got really interesting data that's coming in and then the stories start to pour in and pour in and pour in and pour in. People saying two things. One, I feel seen. Like I literally, that you have just reflected back to me. This is not a big surprise for most people, what they discover when they discover their sparkotype. What they tell us is I feel seen. This thing that I've always known, but I've stifled or buried or pushed aside because for any variety of reasons, it just, I haven't felt the, you know, the, the, the capacity to actually center it in my life and build around it and invest in it. That's real. Yeah. That's real. No, it, it, it's an affirming reflection, but that affirmation is everything. And, and the other thing that people share is this is actionable too. Like it actually, this, this gives me something to start to say yes or no to. But then the third thing that people would come back to us was not a statement, but was a question, which is now what? Like, give me more. <laughs> and over a period of years, there's, I realized there's so much more to give. There was this massive well of information that was building up in my noggin. And I was the only source for all of this stuff. And it was blending with 20 years of ob observing the way that people live and relate and work and play 
And there were just so many things in my head that I wanted to be able to share. And so at some point, you know, it was like, okay, so apparently this needs to be a book so we can go so much deeper into these 10 different types. It wasn't like I said, yay, I want to write the next book. That literally it was the thing it that wrote I, itself. Couldn't, I couldn't not do. Like it had yeah. to get out of my head. And so the 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 sparkotypes, uh, I mean, I I will do no justice in just listing them, but like the idea, it's the maven, the maker, the scientist, the sensualist, performer, like there are these individual types. You, as someone who reads this book or goes to the assessment, ends up getting uh, your information reflected back to you to confirm, oh yeah, you're a maker. What do you do with this knowledge? And part of that trail of breadcrumbs is then hopefully leading you to either give yourself permission to make or find ways inside of an environment that you're in to leverage what ends up being your unfair advantage, your secret you know, thing that uh, maybe has not yet been fully unleashed to the world. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a fantastic book. And I, um, I love the fact that you're getting so much feedback in real time to affirm that the thing that you've created is actually having the kind of impact that you'd hope before the thing even comes out, the book even comes out in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's been an amazing experience because normally when you write a book, as, as you know, you're writing and writing, and writing, you have no idea, you know, like how it's going to land, how people will receive it. Maybe you have a couple of early readers and your editor, but you know, because this is based on literally hundreds of thousands of people's input over a period of years. And then folding in so many stories. Um, so the book is just packed with stories because I want to say, this is how it shows up. You know, this is how your same impulse has showed up in all different people's lives from all different walks of life so that it's relatable and you can see how it gets channeled no matter who, you know, whose lives or whose opportunities or circumstances it drops into. And to be able to have that level of interaction and input along the way has been a, a real gift, you know, and to know that it's now going out into the world and, and hopefully going to interact with a whole lot more people, especially now at this moment in time, when so many people are asking the big existential questions, you know, to, to be able to have a book that goes out into the world and hopefully offers ideas and insights that helps you through that process of questioning and understanding where might I redirect my energy moving forward so that I feel differently. It's just, it's been, it's an amazing experience that's sort of like in unfolding in real time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's spectacular. And especially because of how much time we end up spending in the work that we do, the way that you can ultimately have what matters or your relationships deepened, you know, like as a part of those three things that you have to spend time on this as a resource that might allow people to find meaning or deepen relationships with people that they're working with, I think is just a, a, a phenomenal thing. I'm super, super excited for every single person who is listening in real time to pick this book up. Again, it's called Sparked, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive, and it is available uh, in real time. So please, uh, let's support Jonathan, shall we? It'll be a thing that I know changes the way you think about how you show up in the work world. If someone is interested, Jonathan, in immersing themselves more inside of your world, where do you send people on, whether it's Instagram or the internet, uh, to learn more about what you do and how they might become a deeper part of your community? Yeah, so I am at Jonathan Fields pretty much everywhere. Um, I tend to be early to platform, so I grab my name quickly. If you're interested in taking the Sparkotype assessment, totally free. It's at sparkotype.com, S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E.com. And the podcast is Good Life Project. And uh, from any one of those three places, you will pretty much be able to, to track me down uh, all over it, all the time. Excellent. Well, we will put links to all of those things in the show notes. So if you as a listener are interested, certainly in the assessments, I mean, yes, the 
grab grab uh, the Good Life Show as well. It is un- the Good Life Project is an unbelievable podcast. You will be blessed every single episode that you listen to it. But uh, I am really encouraged in real time with the work around Sparkotypes, Spark the book, and everything that uh, Jonathan is doing to try and help you, listener, have a deeper connection to who you are and how you show up inside the workplace. Final question that we ask every single person every single week, if there was a single thing, a single takeaway that you could share with this audience, an idea, a question, actionable piece of advice, what is the single thing that you would leave with our listeners today? Mm, Don't wait to be you. Mm. That's it. That's it. That's good. Don't wait to be you. Jonathan, I appreciate you so much. This is a friendship that is new in its time, but important in my life. And I know we're going to be good friends for a long, long time. I appreciate you and appreciate you for coming on the show today. Thank you, brother. Uh, Thank you so much. I I really appreciate it as well. And uh, excited to deepen into our friendship. And it's been so much fun just being on the show today. Thanks so much. Awesome. All right, listener, if you enjoyed this episode and how could you have not, I want you to take a screenshot of the episode on the device that you're listening to. Put it up in your social media accounts and tag myself, tag Jonathan, share it with every person you've ever met in your entire life and let them know something you took away from this. You were 90% more likely to retain information that you learned today if you teach it to someone else. So please don't keep what you've learned today to yourself. Share it with somebody. Between now and next week, don't wait to be you. Jonathan told you, you got to listen to him. I appreciate you being a listener on the show. We will see you next week for another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.